Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the ISO Podcast. I am your host, Trey Crowder. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you for joining us. We're going to have a lot of fun today, as we do on every episode. And if you are a frequent listener, thank you to you as well, because without you, this ship does not continue to move forward. First and foremost, I hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. I know I did. I chilled out. I did still work, but other than that, I got to hang out with my lady. Got to hang out with my best friend, PJ. Shout out to P birthday today just turned 27 so give him a round of applause for pj happy birthday (laughs) but um yeah man nba season is right around the corner the preseason kicked off this past week Um, we got a chance to see a lot of the top draft picks in action and we also got a chance to see um you know some players on their new teams and how they looked on their new roster so before we get into that if you're not already following me on instagram and twitter please drop everything you're doing and go ahead and do so like now like right now <laughs> the twitter and instagram handles the exact same thing it is at hoopfacts h-o-o-p underscore underscore f-a-c-t-s again that's h-o-o-p underscore underscore f-a-c-t-s and not only is the nba season right around the corner but the college basketball season is is right here too we're less than a month away so we're going to talk about that today as well and then of course in the rundown we're going to start off with some WNBA action so without further ado let's go ahead and get right into it and um, the Washington Mystics took on the Connecticut Sun in game three of the WNBA finals Washington Mystics came away with the 94-81 victory and you know they had they had a little scare before the game WNBA MVP Elena Del Don she was questionable going into the contest with a herniated disc in her back but she toughed it out. She played, and she actually had a really good performance, too. She was able to um, give her team 13 points, six rebounds. She shot five or six from the field and three or four from the three-point line. So she was very efficient, super productive, and she gave her team that emotional lift that they needed to uh, knock off the Connecticut Sun and take a 2-1 lead in the series. Christy Tolliver also chipped in with a really big performance. She had 20 points, 10 assists. She also shot a blistering percentage from the field. She won seven for nine. And she hit all four of her three-point attempts. And then the unsung hero that continues to find a way to make an impact in these WNBA playoffs, Emma Meesman. She had 21 points and six rebounds. She shot three or four from the three-point line. So, I mean, you, you kind of see the theme already. Out of the, the three women that I just named, they shot a total of 12 three-pointers. And they made, what was it? They made 10. So you can see how, how accurate they were from beyond the arc. 
And even on here, if we look at as a team, collectively, they shot nearly 60% from beyond the arc. So whenever you shoot that good, it's kind of hard to lose the game. And they nearly put 100 up on the board. So they were definitely feeling it on offense. They shot 16 from 27 from three-point line, just to be exact. Um, and then on the Connecticut Sun side, they didn't have enough, but they still got pretty solid performances out of Shakina Strickland and Jasmine Thomas. Each of those ladies has 16 points, but they would need a little bit more if they look to stave off elimination in game four of the series, which will be coming up tomorrow. So Washington, like I said, they lead the series two games to one, but the series is shifting to Connecticut. So tomorrow, if they could somehow have a, have a good performance at home, they could force a game five, and that'll be for all the marbles. That's anybody's game. So even though it will be in Washington, you know, it's, it's up in the air because these are the two top teams in the WNBA, uh, one and two. So this is what you want to see. You want it to come down to one game. I love a game seven. And in the WNBA finals, it's the best of three. So game five is basically game seven. So I'll be paying a close attention to that one tomorrow. And next week when we talk, I'll, I'll have an outcome on that. So um, as we go down to some NBA action, let's go ahead and give out some birthday shout outs. So since last time we met, a couple people had some birthdays. Big shout out to Grant Hill. He turned 47. Cody Zeller for the Charlotte Hornets turned 27. Man, time flies. I remember watching Cody Zeller as a freshman at Indiana while I was in school. He actually played against my, my school, New Mexico State. He gave us buckets in the first round. <laughs> but he ain't really been he, – he was drafted top five, and he's been kind of a disappointment, unfortunately, to this point of the season. Not – I thought he would be pretty good considering he's seven feet. He could run the floor. He was athletic. I thought he was kind of that new age big man. But, I mean, he still got a job, and hopefully he could, he could make an impact this year because Kimball Walker's gone now. So there's definitely some room for somebody to, you know, replace his scoring output. And then Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose turned 31. Again, time flies. I remember when Derrick Rose was a rookie in the league, you know, when he won rookie of the year and then the following season – you know, he just continued to get better and better. He won MVP in like his third year. So cool to see him, you know, still in the league. He's, he's on the Pistons now. I'll talk a little bit about him because he played with them in the preseason today. And then uh, Courtney Lee turned 34. Jonathan Isaac for the Orlando Magic turned 22. Tyson Chandler turned 37. Tyson Chandler is almost 40. <laughs> That's crazy. I, I remember him when he won the championship with the Dallas Mavericks. He was that defensive presence. So time is definitely flying. And Joe Ingles turn 32 that may be a surprise to most people because if you look at Joe Ingles he looks like he's 45 already <laughs> but he's still got a lot of game he plays real smart and he's going to be a key member for the Utah Jazz this season if they look to make a deep push in the playoffs so moving on to some more NBA news like I said the preseason tipped off uh, over the weekend a couple teams were in action uh, but today we'll talk about some of the games that took place the Cleveland Cavaliers they knocked off San Lorenzo 120 to 89 the Orlando Magic took down the Detroit Pistons 115-91. The New York Knicks knocked off the Washington Wizards 104-99. The New Orleans Pelicans came away victorious with the 133-109 victory over the Atlanta Hawks. And the Milwaukee Bucks took down the Chicago Bulls 122-112. Just a couple ISO standouts, some performers who, you know, stood out from today's slate of games. Aaron Gordon had 25 points and 8 rebounds for the Orlando Magic. Marcus Morris, um, he got ejected. He only played 19 minutes. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing is when he got ejected, he's just being himself. You know Marcus Morris is, is just a dog. He, was, uh, he got into it with Justin Anderson, who was playing a little bit too – he was playing with a little bit too much intensity on defense for the preseason. And Marcus Morris didn't appreciate it, so he threw an elbow at him. 
put the ball over his head. I mean, in the streets, you get away with that. But in the NBA, you know they're calling that. So, I mean, in only 19 minutes, he still accumulated 17 points and seven rebounds. So I think he's going to be a key member for that New York Knicks team if they, you know, plan to do a lot better than they've been doing in the past. And then Thomas Bryant for the Washington Wizards had 14 points and 14 rebounds. Um, this, the action in the, the NBA so far has, I don't think I've ever seen this much excitement in the preseason. And mainly just because the league is so different. Like over the weekend, we got a chance to see uh, LeBron James and AD on the same team for the first time. And they look really good. Um, we also got a chance to see um, the Los Angeles Clippers. Paul George and Kawhi haven't played yet, but you still see the intensity in that team. That was one of the things that I worried about. I was hoping they wouldn't lose that edge that they had last year when getting the two superstars. So Patrick Beverly is still showing that he's not going to let that happen. And as long as he can continue to, you know, be that heart and soul on the defensive end, I don't see why they would, you know, change because they got two new additions to the team. Some notable rookie um, debuts. Zion Williamson went crazy. <laughs> he had 16 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and three steals. And he had three dunks that, I mean, what can I say? We, we know what to expect out of Zion at this point. It, it was exciting to say the least. He, he caught a defender slip and he came down the lane and threw it down with the right hand, even though he's left-handed. So that was good to see. He, he played a lot of, I think he played the most minutes out of the starters. And that's pretty good to see too, because he only played nine minutes in the preseason. And for Zion, one of the things a lot of people were worried about was his weight and his conditioning. So to see him running up and down the floor, making an impact on both sides, I think he's going to be just fine in his rookie season. And he's showing me that I might be right <laughs> in picking him as the, the 2020 rookie of the year. His former Duke teammate was uh, on the Atlanta Hawks against him, and he also made his debut today. Cam Reddish had 11 points, shot three or four from the three-point line. And he only did that in 15 minutes of work. So he showed he could be efficient for, uh, for Atlanta this year. He's probably going to play a key role off the bench for them. Nobody's expecting too much, so he'll, he'll get a chance to kind of like, you know, learn on the fly and make his mistakes and, you know, come into his own as an NBA player. And he's actually the guy that all of the rookies picked to have the best career even over Zion Williamson. So Cam Reddish coming in with a lot of hype, but starting off on a good foot. And then uh, top five pick DeAndre Hunter out of Virginia, also on the Atlanta Hawks. He had 10 points, so he had a pretty solid performance. Over the weekend, John Morant made his debut with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies. He had 10 points, seven assists, and only one turnover. I like what I saw to him. I looked at the highlights to that game. He looked real. He, 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 looked, he played with a lot of poise. He didn't force too much. And that's one thing you'll see out of players who played more than one year in college. Yeah, he played at Murray State, but... You see them come in with that different level of poise, you know, instead of going one and done because Damian Lillard came in with a similar poise out of a small college. Stephen Curry as well, C.J. McCollum. So you usually see that out of guys who did more than one year, especially in the smaller schools because you got to kind of have – you play such a major role on your college team to where when you come into the league and now you're playing around other talented players, the game comes a lot easier. I'll be interested to see what he does tomorrow because John Morant – um, and the Grizzlies, they take on the New Zealand Breakers. And if you follow basketball, I'm sure you know who the New Zealand Breakers have. R.J. Hampton, guy that's projected to go top five next year. So we'll see John Morant match up with, you know, potential top five pick next year. And that should be, that should be a lot of fun. So I'm going to be glued to the TV tomorrow. Yes, I'm going to be at work, but I'm going to find a way. <laughs> and then on the east side, uh, number three pick, R.J. Barrett for the New York Knicks. He had a good game as well, probably the best statistical game out of all the rookies. 
17 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 assists. I think R.J. Barrett is going to be a really good player in the league. He's going to have the green light on New York, so he, he doesn't have nothing to worry about. He's going to be able to make his mistakes. And they actually played him 39 minutes today. So you, you kind of get an idea. He's going to play a major role for them. He can share ball handling duties with Alfred Payton and uh, Dennis Smith Jr., who's out with an injury. So expect big things out of RJ. He has a lot of confidence. He actually started this game off 0 for 4, and I think all four of his attempts were from three. So for him to finish with a stat line like this, it's kind of reminiscent from his summer league performance, how he started off really poorly but kept that confidence and, you know, was able to finish strong. And then um, also on the east side, we have um, Darius Garland and Kevin Porter Jr. for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They were really impressive. Um, I, got, I got a quick look at, at what they did in this game. Garland, the number five pick in the 2019 NBA draft, he had nine points and two assists, shot four for four from the field, but he only had 14 minutes of action. So really efficient, didn't make too many mistakes, and definitely show flashes as to why he was that number five pick, even though he only played a handful of games at Vanderbilt last year. And then his teammate, Kevin Porter Jr. out of USC, the last pick in the first round, he had 16 points on seven for nine shooting. And he also played 14 minutes. I personally think this is going to be the backcourt of the future for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Colin Sexton was top 10 pick last year, but I don't really see him as a guy that they view as like a long-term option as their point guard of the future. I think he'll be better suited as a six man. And I think he can thrive in that role because he can score. And that's what he really wants to do. He's not a true point guard. However, he's already made it clear that he doesn't want to share the backcourt and he's not moving over. So we're going we're gonna to see who, who wins that starting job. Right now, um, my early pick is Darius Garland, but Colin Sexton did have a pretty solid rookie year. So for his sake, he just better hope he don't get hurt because if Garland get that spot, he's not getting it back. <laughs> uh, just my takeaways from the preseason action over, over the past uh, week from what I've seen. I'll say my, my first point, this rookie class is going to be better than I expected. I didn't think... I didn't think that this rookie class was bad, but I didn't think it had star power. But just from some of the guys I've seen, like I said, Kevin Porter Jr. was the last pick in the first round. He's somebody I I thought would be a sleeper. I liked him. I felt like his game was better suited for the NBA than college. So I think they got a steal with him. He's a lottery talent. However, um, I just didn't know if he would get the minutes. But he's showing even, you know, in the minutes given, he he can be a pretty solid contributor. And then um, Darius Garland, uh, like I said, all the other guys in there, John Moran, R.J. Barrett, even looking to guys like Taco Fall and the Boston Celtics and Carson Edwards. Like, it's a lot of guys in this in this draft that are going to have an impact pretty early, and I think they're going to be around for a long time. So that was one of my takeaways. My second takeaway, Buddy Hield is going to – he's going to take off this year. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. Buddy Hield had – I think in his two games, his first game against Indiana, he had 28 – the second game, I want to say he still scored like 20, but I think with, with Buddy, what I'm seeing more so is just the confidence. Like, I watched him in the Rico Hines, you know, open runs, and in those, usually you can see when a player is going to take off in those open runs just by their confidence because they're playing against other NBA players that, you know, may have more of a name in the league, but on the streets, it's mano a mano, and I seen him making every shot in those open runs and just the confidence he exuded is carrying over to the NBA floor. So I think he's going to have a big year. I wouldn't be surprised if he averaged 23 plus. And if he does do that, the Kings are going to be a scary team to play. He really improved his ball handling. I think he's going to be able to, you know, take the load off of De'Aaron and they're, they're going to be a solid one-two punch in that backcourt. Third takeaway from this past week, 
Markel Fultz. He's learning how to play basketball again, you guys. <laughs> the former number one overall pick is learning how to play basketball again. I know that might sound crazy, but I'm still excited. In uh, this game that he just played today, he had a really, really nice move where he got a steal, went behind his back, um, shook off the defender, and threw it down with, with a nasty one-hand jam against the Detroit Pistons. And he plays solid, man. He's, he's, a really good, he's a really underrated passer. And he can get a lot of assists because I feel like he can get to the rim at ease, and it opens up a lot of scoring opportunities, and he usually has his head up. So Markel Fultz, I wouldn't be surprised if he wins that starting job. I think DJ Augustine at this stage of his career is better suited as a backup anyway, but I like that they're making Markel Fultz go ahead and earn it. Even though he was the former number one pick, they're not just giving anything to him. And then my final takeaway from this past week and the preseason action that's just, take, that's just began, the Lakers are for real. Yeah. <laughs> I know I picked the Clippers to win it all, but this Laker team, they, they kind of have it all. They got good coaching. Um, they, they look like they're taking the defensive end seriously, something they didn't do last year. And maybe because there was so many young guys and LeBron James – you know, knew they weren't going to win anything last year. So at times, I don't think he gave his full effort on the court, which is not okay. But this year, I definitely see the uh, the intensity is a little higher. And this is only the preseason. So imagine how it's going to be during the regular season. Danny Green might have one of his best years as a pro just because he's going to get so many open looks. I don't think he's ever played with this this level of talent on the floor at the same time. You also got guys like Avery Bradley, who didn't do much in the preseason game, but just looking at how they play, I see that he'll have his moments. Rajon Rondo was solid. He was able to knock down that open three that they were giving to him. He was able to spread the floor. Alex Caruso, like they just have an abundance of talent. And I think once they figure it out as to what their, what their identity is as a team, I, I think they're going to take off and they're going to they're gonna prove a lot of people wrong because I think even myself, like I said, I think the Clippers is the number one team. But if they <laughs> if they come out and play the way they did against the Golden State Warriors, the Lakers, that is, it's going to be a tough out for anybody. I don't I don't I don't know if too many teams can get them in a seven game series because Anthony Davis had like 22 and 10. And, you know, he didn't really play all that many minutes. And then LeBron, you know what you're getting out of him. They play they played a really big lineup. Kuzma's hurt, but they started LeBron at the point. Um, I think Danny Green came out at the two. Um, who else started? Anthony Davis, um, JaVale McGee, and I want to say they went out with, uh, what's his name, um, Dwight Howard. So we'll see. Um, this year is, is going to be really interesting. It's a lot, of, um, a lot of changes in the league, so we'll see how that, how that shakes up. And like I said, man, this, this is going to be a really exciting year. So some more basketball news. Um, the NBA height changes has taken effect, and <laughs> it's a lot of changes that, that we're seeing. First and foremost, so let, let me explain it. Basically, now in the NBA, they're measuring, uh, they're measuring the height of players without shoes. So before, when we would see the players' heights, it was always with shoes. But now, without it, I mean, it's, it's, some of this shit is bogus because nobody loses like four inches just because they took their shoes off. But with that being said, one of the biggest ones that stood out to me was Marvin Bagley. So Marvin Bagley was listed at 6'11 at Duke, and he's been listed at 6'11 since coming into the league. So now he's going into his second season, and somehow he's 6'8 now. 
<laughs> I don't know how the fuck that happened, but six foot eleven to six foot eight is a big difference. I personally don't believe it. I've seen pictures of him standing next to other guys, and he looks like a legit six foot eleven. Oh, and a quick amendment to that uh, starting five that I said with the Lakers. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, JaVale McGee, Danny Green, and Avery Bradley. That was their starting five. But um, Troy Daniels played a lot of minutes off the bench. Rajon Rondo, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Alex Caruso. They all played a lot of minutes. So obviously that won't be the normal minute allotment. They want to see what they can get out of these guys in the preseason. But that was what they came out with. But um, back to these height changes. Zion Williamson was listed at 6'7". Now he's listed at 6'6", which is not that big of a deal considering how the league is now. The the stretch four has kind of made it okay to be short. Like, we've seen guys like P.J. Tucker have a lot of success in the league at only 6'6". And I think now he's listed at 6'5 with these, with these new height changes. KD actually grew. And I think a lot of people knew Kevin Durant has been seven feet. He kind of has that Kevin Garnett shit to where, like, they don't want to be listed as seven-footers. Kevin Garnett made it a point to let everyone know he was six foot eleven, as if one inch changed that much. <laughs> but Kevin Durant, um, instead of being listed as six foot nine, is now listed as six ten. I personally think Kevin Durant is six foot eleven. Just seeing him standing next to other NBA players and how much he towers over him. But once he put the shoes on, he, he might be 6'11 and a half, almost seven feet. And when you imagine what he can do with the rock, it's unstoppable. Draymond Green, six foot seven. Now he is six foot five. So we've seen a lot of power forwards turn into shooting guards, basically, <laughs> with these new height changes. So it's crazy. But if everybody is shorter, I guess there's no real advantage. But a lot of players got exposed. Dwight Howard is six foot nine now instead of the six foot 11. He's been listed his whole career. So it's crazy. It's wacky. But <laughs> I guess we got the truth now. There's no more fabrication on the height. Oh, and Derrick Rose is six one now, apparently. So uh, LaMelo Ball. We're going to get into our overseas report. He played his first uh, regular season game with the Illawarra Hawks, and, man, he showed out. He had 12 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. One of the biggest things that stood out to me was he had no turnovers. That's something you always want to see out of a young guard because that's one of the things that they usually struggle with, holding on to the rock. So to see him have no turnovers shows that he's definitely making good decisions and being productive on the floor. He had... I think the thing that caught most people's attention, though, <laughs> was these two crossovers that he had on this one play. The defender was, was trying to get on him, and he made him fall. Blew by him. The defender got back up, and he made him fall again. <laughs> so he, he was doing this thing, but unfortunately, they, they didn't come away with the victory. They fell to the Brisbane Bullets 90-81. to 81. But LaMelo Ball is getting a lot of attention. And the NBA, they put out a, they put out a um, I guess, a, a, media, a news release saying that teams in the NBA were unable to scout LaMelo Ball and R.J. Hampton because they technically have not declared for the NBA draft yet, but then they amended it and said they could. So I don't know what the NBA is doing, but they're going to find a way to scout these guys anyway just because R.J. Hampton and LaMelo Ball are going to be top five picks in next year's NBA draft, barring anything drastic. Um, Also overseas, Lance Stevenson, born ready. (laughs) He is in China going crazy. Over the weekend, he recorded a monster game. He had 45 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists. And get this, he knocked down 10 threes. (laughs) So a lot of guitar playing out of Lance Stevenson in the game against China. He's just over there having a good time. They gave him a couple mil to go down there for one season. So he is loving it, and I'm loving everything I see out of Born Ready on all these Ballers Life highlights. And he even posted it, so that's how you know that he over there having fun. And speaking of China, China is beefing with the Rockets now. Odd, right? 
<laughs> well, Daryl Morey apparently got them hot, and now they're beefing. So basically what happened was in China, there is, there's a lot of protesters, and basically Daryl Morey put out a tweet that supported the protesters, and China didn't like that shit. So the tweet said, <laughs> fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. And, you know, China has a big influence with the Rockets because Yao Ming used to play for them his, his entire career, Hall of, former Hall of Famer, well, current Hall of Famer, former, um, you know, center for the Houston Rockets. But he said uh, <laughs> they said that they're going to suspend cooperation with the team because uh, Daryl Morey tweeted in support of pro-democracy protesters in Hong Kong. So James Harden tried to say that, you know, he, he mentioned some words and try and, you know, clear things up. Even Adam Silver, I think Adam Silver actually had Daryl Morey's back though. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see <laughs> what happens out of this. Hopefully they don't blow us the fuck up because Daryl Morey tweeted out some shit that he probably had no business in. But at the same time, I think China felt like um, you know he was putting out the wrong message to them. And you know they like to regulate they like they like to regulate you know what's being said about them when you even look at like their laws in terms of like how the internet is used. So. Daryl Morey probably should have stayed away from that. He got a little too comfortable. Uh, moving on to the New Orleans Pelicans. They had their first open scrimmage. So fans got their first chance to see number one overall pick Zion Williamson in action. And 10,000 people were in attendance, which is crazy for a freaking open, open practice. And um, one thing we already see is him and Lonzo have a pretty good connection on the floor. Like Lonzo has already been throwing him a lot of lobs. First thing we saw in that, in that initial practice with uh, Zion Williamson. Lonzo threw him a lob that was kind of bad. It hit the backboard, but Zion still somehow grabbed the shit, hit his elbow on the backboard, and still threw down the flush that got their head coach Alvin Gentry a little excited. So it's going to be curious to see that connection throughout the season because I honestly thought Lonzo would come off the bench behind Drew, and I thought J.J. Redick would start to spread the floor so Zion can go to the basket. But they started Lonzo in this preseason game probably because of his connection with Zion. They feel like he can maximize his potential as a player. So I'm going to be looking closely to that connection all season because this is going to be highlight after highlight taking place with the two of those guys. And then uh, last story for the NBA, um, Kyle Lowry. Kyle Lowry got paid. Let's go ahead and give a huge round of applause to Kyle Lowry. <laughs> Kyle Lowry agreed to a one-year $31 million extension with the Toronto Raptors, which makes sense. They just won a championship. He was a starting point guard. He played really well in the finals. And, you know, he finally got rid of those playoff demons. He, he showed up when it mattered most and they, they want to keep him on board. And it makes sense. He's probably their first or second best player, him or Pascal, right now. So you definitely don't want to lose the leader of your team and one of the most talented players, all-star point guard. You got to keep him on there. And he, he's one of those guys that just because he has the, the all-star accolades, he still plays hard. He still plays defense. He's a pass-first guy. And he can knock down an open shot and heat it up. when I mean, he can fill it up when, when he gets hot. He's scheduled to earn $33 million this season, which was originally the last year of his contract. But instead of hitting free agency after this year, now he'll have one more, one more year where he'll make 31 mil. So huge, big congratulations, Kyle Lowry, on that contract. And then uh, in the NCAA, class of 2020 power forward, Jameen Brickfield committed to Duke over the weekend. He chose Duke over Auburn and Florida State. According to ESPN, he is the number 23 overall player and the number five power forward. He is the fifth commitment for Duke in this class and the fourth five-star prospect. So Duke is putting together a juggernaut once again on the recruiting trail, continuing to blaze it, 
and piss Kentucky off because they're their only competition to land the top prospects in these recent years. So before we go ahead and get into the first quarter, I'm going to go ahead and let you guys know what the topics are going to be for the day. So the number one first quarter, we're going to get into um, the Senate Bill 206, which is also known as the Fair Pay to Play Act. Last, last week, I previewed, previewed that bill saying that when I get a little bit more information, I'm going to talk some more about it. I'm going to go in depth. So today, I'm going to get into that. In quarter two, we're going to stay with college. I'm going to talk about which university produces the best NBA players in 2019. And then at halftime, I'm going to reveal who the coach of the year is, well, my pick for coach of the year for this upcoming season. We've already talked about defensive player of the year. We've talked about rookie of the year, most improved player. So now I'm going to give my coach of the year. And then next week before the NBA season starts, I'll wrap up the rest of the awards, um, review my my playoff bracket, talk about the MVP and first team all NBA. But we're talking coach of the year at halftime this week. And then after halftime, we're going to move into quarter three. I'm going to talk about some X factors, the guys that you need to win a championship. I'm going to rank the top five X factors in the league going into this season. And then in the last quarter, we're going to wrap it up with five players who need more minutes. These are basically my sleeper guys. If you play fantasy basketball, you might want to pay attention to this segment pretty close. But um, five guys who need more minutes that may not be household names, but at the end of the season, they definitely will. So kick back, relax, enjoy yourself. About to have a lot of fun. And let's go ahead and get into quarter number one. So I know it's only quarter one, but <laughs> we about to turn up the heat. We, we're going to get it started pretty early on this episode. What we're talking about is the Fair Pay to Play Act, the Senate Bill 206, which was just passed in California, which now permits college athletes to be able to profit off their name. So I'll go ahead and read what the actual bill entails. California Senate Bill 206 law, which will go into effect in January of 2023. That's key. So it's not like we're going to see anything today, but it goes into effect January of 2023. This prohibits colleges in that state from punishing college athletes for making money by selling the rights to their names, images, and likeliness to outside bidders. So what this means is players are now able to, you know, make money off of themselves. Shit may sound crazy, right? (laughs) Make money off of myself. Yes, but that hasn't always been the case. I specifically remember when I was in college in New Mexico State, Um, Some of the athletes would have like these big posters of their face and their jerseys and everything inside of the the IHOP down the street. But yet they wouldn't receive a dime from that. The university was profiting off of all that. They would sell their jerseys, not put their name on the back. But you know who number, you know, when I was going there, you know who 23 for New Mexico State was at the time. Like, so it's it's something that is corrupt. It's been going on for the longest. And it's kind of cool now to see, you know, something starting to, to to benefit the players for a change. And to no surprise, LeBron James is one of the ins- key figures in getting this bill passed. He actually had um, the California the California governor, Gavin Newsom, he signed the bill on LeBron James' show, uh, The Shop. So that was pretty cool to see. Brought an entertaining aspect to something that was monumental, brought a lot of eyes to it, and seeing that I'm not just an athlete. That's a slogan, you know, more than an athlete. And He's showing that he he can make an effect in, you know, things that doesn't even affect him. LeBron didn't even go to college out of high school, but he also mentioned that if he was able to profit while being in college, he might have, you know, chose to do that. So hopefully he could he could change the continue to change the landscape and, you know, just continue to be a good ambassador for the game because LeBron James is somebody that that always wants to, you know, fight for equality for the player. And Without his voice, who knows if this would have taken place, you know, in 2019. So 
the bill the bill in itself I know in the past I remember Terrell Pryor I know it's football but it's one of the notable names that I remember of a guy who was punished and at, at Ohio State for accepting you know I think it was tattoos and memorabilia that he was giving away for money and stuff like that while in college and he was penalized for it but it's just fans nearby that you know pay all this money to go see him why can't he you know profit off of that in a way that immediately benefits him a lot of these guys especially when we talk about college and football these are sports that are predominantly you know I guess fielded by African-American athletes so of course, these guys don't really, a lot of times, don't have a lot of money. They come from the inner city, and then you go to college because you have to go to college because the one-and-done rule is in place. In football, you have to go at least three years. How do you expect somebody to not take free money when they're coming from a situation of poverty? It's, it's you know, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. You already kind of know what situation these players are in, and I a scholarship does not feed their entire family, but yet money does. So when you see a lot of these stories come out of these top recruits accepting money or, you know, declining that they accept the money, we all know what's going on here. What is the reason why OJ Mayo would commit to USC out of, you know, out of high school when he came from West Virginia? Like what, what, why, what would make him go to USC and not UCLA? You know, money has always been given to these players and it's always been under the table, but you're starting to see it come out more and more. And now it's not going to be illegal. So they're going to be able to profit off of themselves. I remember when I used to play the college basketball game as a kid and you would be playing with some of your favorite college basketball players, but yet their name wasn't on the game. So they weren't able to profit off that. So it's bogus. The, the NCAA has always been corrupt. And I always say it is, it's cool to kind of see these guys being able to, you know, turn the tables on them. So just to be clear, the only people happy that this bill is passed <laughs> is the players and people who believe in fairness. The NCAA and the universities, everyone associated are pissed that this bill got passed. And it's a couple other states have already proposed that the bill get passed in their state, most notably Florida and New York. So you're seeing you're going to see this trend start to happen because there's no way California could have this bill in place and no other state can because one of my biggest questions when it first passed was, well, how is this going to affect recruiting? Because why would I go to a school in, let's say, Iowa when I can go to California and not only get a full scholarship, but I can get recognition and money before I even go pro? It's, it's kind of like a win-win scenario. So, of course, now you'll probably start to see a trickle-down effect to where all these other univer or all these other states will get the bill passed too, so it can become you know fair across college across college athletics. But with these schools, they don't want to see it happen because now it's kind of relinquishing the control. The NCAA has always dominated because they have control. Like the one and done rule was established in basketball. Originally, players could come out of high school. Some of our favorite players, Kobe Bryant, um, Tracy McGrady, Kevin Garnett, Lou Williams, uh, LeBron James, like these guys all came out of high school. But once the one and done rule came into play, and the first year it came into play was, I think it was 2007, because it was the first year Kevin Durant um, came out of high school. And Kevin Durant for sure would have went to the league out of high school if he could, but he had to go to Texas, and he went to Texas and averaged 25-12, got drafted number two, and the rest was history. But just imagine how good he was. Did he really need to do that one year in college? No, but 
And doing that, just imagine how much money Texas made off of him from TV ratings and, you know, memorabilia and him donating money to the college down the road just because, you know, that was a, a pivotal moment of his life. It's it's like a trap. You know, they, they make it to where you have to do it and they're always going to benefit from it. So now with these universities, they're, they're losing control and it kind of, you know, places the power back in the control of the player. Not entirely because there, there still are guidelines that you have to follow, but it is going in the right direction. And kind of to the point that I said of nobody being excited about this bill being passed other than people who, you know, are like fans and spectators who it doesn't immediately affect their bottom line. Uh, Seton Hall University did a poll and 60% of the people they surveyed favored the idea of um, college athletes being compensated. And for people who they surveyed who were under the age of 30, that number jumped to 80%. <laughs> so pretty much anybody under the age of 30 uh, believes that college athletes should be compensated because now we kind of know everything that comes with it. A lot of the people who are older are just setting their ways of how college sports should be played and how the business should be conducted. Uh, one of the guys last week who was really vocal was Lou Holtz. And um, sorry to keep referencing football, but football is one of the sports that is, you know, extremely affected by this because there's more people on a team than, than you know, a basketball team. So, of course, now with all these top recruits being able to, to profit and have an agent, they're, they're really going to be able to, you know, control their destiny. And, of course, the more people you have doing that, the less control you have. So um, with these guys now... They they just think about like a Zion Williamson, for instance, he did his one year at Duke because he had to. But let's say if he chose to go to college now, he can kind of pick wherever he goes and the recognition and the fame is going to follow regardless. There's no need to go to Duke now because I imagine a lot of these schools were paying these guys under the table. Like, let, let's just call it what it is. So. Now, if I can get compensated without having to get paid under the table and getting in trouble, I can go anywhere now. Like just I, I read an article from Jamel Hill from The Athletic, and she was talking about like some of the top recruits, how they're now giving more, um, you know, thought to some HBCUs. If you're familiar with uh, Josh Christopher, he is a top 15 player in this this upcoming uh, high school class of 2020. Uh, he's visiting Howard University and so is McCord Maker, who is also a top 15 player even if they don't go to Howard, the fact that they're even giving them, you know, the the official visit shows that they're at least in the running. And if just imagine if those two players or any top recruit was to go to a HBCU, the recognition they'll get, you know, they'll be able to change. They'll be able to change the the whole entire landscape of basketball because all the top recruits go to Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, pretty much all the blue blood, blue blood programs. But now, if they go to schools like Howard, you know, and that one year it won't be wasted because they're going to average a shitload of points because <laughs> they're going to be playing in a conference with players that aren't as talented. But really, if you're a top 10 high school prospect, you're, you're going to go pretty high in the next year's draft if you, you know what I mean, do what you're supposed to unless you just play severely lower than what you showed in high school. But if you, if you were ranked pretty high, you're already going to get drafted high. So... What is the point of going to Duke? So now you go to Howard, you get paid a little money on the side from endorsement deals. You know what I mean? You you get to play at a historically black college. You it's just like you're 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 a pioneer at that point. And now there is it's making it easier to kind of be a pioneer instead of somebody just, 
going to Duke and doing the same thing that, you know, everybody before you did. Like, Zion was very exciting, but Marvin Bagley put up crazy numbers the year before. Before that, Kyrie Irving was there. Before him, Grant Hill was there. But just imagine being able to go to a HBCU, be one of a kind. Like, Howard hasn't been to an NCAA tournament since 1992. So just imagine if Josh Christopher and McCord Maker were to, were to make their way onto campus you know, they'll be able to, they'll be rock stars, essentially. And I don't think these kids nowadays are afraid of what comes with that. And I think we need more people like that. And you can see how guys like LeBron James are inspiring the youth, you know, to take chances and, and push boundaries and do things that, you know, may have seen unconventional, but, you know, still is trailblazing at the same time. And just to be clear, the NCAA is shook from this rule. Because not only did they lose control, but like I said, they, they lose the, the financial aspect is being taken away. Like TV ratings go to the biggest colleges. So if the best players aren't going to the biggest colleges, just imagine how that, how that messes up the TV contracts and who people actually want to see. Like the NCAA uh, president, Mark, Mark Emmert, he said that, um, what did he say? He said he believes it's wrong that the NFL and NBA require athletes to wait three years in the case of the NFL or one year in NBA after high school to enter their leagues. He said they will continue to work with those leagues to try and change those rules. He's full of shit <laughs> because he's profiting off of that. Like these rules are not just in play because it benefits one side. Like let's be real. All of these organizations that work together, they're not going to have these rules in place if they're not benefiting some way from it. So he said they'll continue to work with those leagues and try. But I mean, these the the NCAA college basketball and college football are the two most profitable leagues in all of college sports. But these are also the leagues, like I said, that are most dominated by black people. So, of course, you're going to want to control them because if they could, you know, kind of like free agency. We just seen Adam Silver and NBA talk about how free agency needs to be regulated and how. You know, they they want to promote a culture of competitiveness and how they don't want these guys to like the tampering rules are 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 ramping up. They want to control more stuff. And the more that a player has a voice and the more, you know, he he has a decision in his own, I would say, journey. No organization that the player plays for is going to be happy with that because they like I continue to say they continue to lose control. And that's something that they don't want to happen. Um but with this, like I said, we're not going to see the effects of it until we get closer to year 2023. But I imagine as we get closer to that date, we'll, we'll see a lot more dominoes continue to fall in favor of the players. And, you know, the big bad NCAA will continue to, to pull his hair out in search of a solution, you know, as these bills continue to get passed. I think with, um, with this, one of the things I'm most excited to see is, you know, what player is going to be the first one to go to the small college? Like, what player is going to get an agent? I want to see HBCU. That's why, that's why I mentioned Howard, and that article was pretty cool, too, because I, I kind of thought the same thing. It's like, well, there's really no incentive to go to a big college now because if, if you're going to get endorsement deals from Nike coming out of high school because you can play ball, who gives a fuck where you go? Like, people are going to follow you regardless if you know how to hoop. And, of course, these top colleges, like – we see LaMelo Ball, he's getting scouted right now, and he's playing in, you know what I mean, he's playing overseas, but they're making that trip to see him, same with R.J. Hampton. So they'll find a way to see you if you know how to play basketball, and they'll get you into the league. But I just think with these sports predominantly, you know, fielded by black players, 
it's it's good to see the the machine finally being being put to rest and I'm just interested to see what's going to happen next. So we'll stay tuned. I'll definitely keep you guys posted with every um, with every update I'll get regarding uh, the Senate Bill 206. But I think um, this world, like I said, just has the NCA shook. <laughs> They're shook. And of course, it's going to cost them a lot of money. And whenever the bottom line is affected, that's usually when you start to see action taking place. And I think with um, Mark Emmer, he even said it. He said how he wants that um, he wants to do something about changing it. Like they are so shook that they're willing to get rid of the one and done rule. Like he talked about that because now the players who actually do decide to go to college, you can still control them. You know, like think about it. This bill is in place because college athletes can now, you know, pretty much take ownership over over their brand. So now if you have guys that that come into the league or come into college that may not be ranked top 100, you can still profit off of them. But they know if they continue to see this bill pass in different states and different states it's going to eventually take over the NCAA to where, you know, they they lose hold of the entire process that they set up from the jump, which was originally intended to only benefit the NCAA. So now if you get these guys that come in, you get rid of the one and done rule, the people who come to college already knows what comes with it, and they still have to stay a minimum of one year, but they're already going to be okay with the current setup, and they're not going to really challenge what's in place. So I think with, with them proposing to, to get rid of the one and done rule and how you know he's backtracking on that, even though it's made them so much money, it just goes to show that they're, they're just trying to satisfy people to eventually get their way and. I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I wouldn't buy in if if um I mean it's not really the player's choice. That's the NBA, but once they get rid of that one and done rule, which I see happening pretty soon. That, that was one thing I said last episode. Um a player that I previewed Imani Bates. I said I think he'll come out of high school cuz I think the uh the rule will be gone, but this bill kind of is the reason why I feel that way among other things. So that's all for that topic. Let's go ahead and transition to quarter two, and we're going to stay with college. I'm going to talk about some of the best colleges to find the next best pro prospect at. In 2019, there are so many different colleges. You can go overseas. It's players now, you know, essentially coming out of high school and, and skipping a year of college and going into the NBA draft. Like, you can find great players everywhere. But specifically for this topic, we're just going to talk about college. So I took a list of some of the top universities in the nation. And I just kind of graded them to see, you know, what are the top schools to to find a pro prospect that, you know, somebody that will actually be talented in college, but actually where it translates into the league as well. So just before I get into some of the good colleges, (laughs) I'm going to talk about some of the ones we might want to stay away from. These are the schools you want to avoid if you're trying to find a player, you know, in the league that's going to, you know, play a key part for your team but not trick you into thinking like hey this guy was pretty good in college but he's not doing the same thing in the league so one of the schools that I would stay away from is Syracuse I was I mean I still like college basketball and Syracuse is a fun team to watch but one thing I started to notice with Syracuse players is that they're heavily relying upon a system specifically on the defensive side of the ball if you know Syracuse they run that 2-3 zone so you don't really know if a guy can play man-to-man defense. And once he gets to the league, a lot of times they're exposed. 
just some of the guys that played really well in college but got to the league and found out that it was a different game. Michael Carter-Williams actually won Rookie of the Year and then now is just kind of like a role player, backup. Doesn't even really have a role, to be honest. He's a bench warmer. Deion Waiters, uh, another guy who can get hot in the spurts, but he was a six-man in Syracuse. Looked like he had all the, the tools in the scoring bag, and, you know, he's not really the player that many expected him to be going top five. Wesley Johnson, one of the biggest busts in league history. Malachi Richardson, Dante Green, Johnny Flynn, the list goes on. <laughs> but every once in a while, you'll find a Carmelo Anthony, which is still kind of a system guy, but he's had a really great career. Gonzaga is another school that I would stay away from. Gonzaga produces college players. They don't produce pros. Typically, they lack a lot of athleticism, um, and they're just not used to the strength and competitiveness of the NBA. Not saying all guys, but for the most part. Adam Morrison and Austin Day are prime examples, like guys who had great size, could shoot the rock. You felt like the league was transitioning into a shooting game when they first came in, and you thought they would be you know, solid, and they kind of washed out. And then uh, the University of Arizona, this is kind of bust you, <laughs> for real. Well, respect to Jason Terry, DeAndre Aiden, Laurie Marketing, who else went there? Gilbert Arenas, Richard Jefferson. Like, all of those guys had great NBA careers, and they went to U of A. But lately, it's been bust central. Like, in the past few years, I remember Jared Bayless came out in 08. He went top 10. Stanley Johnson went top 10. Chase Budinger was first round. Kobe Simmons was a highly ranked high school recruit. Same with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. And all of these guys are, I mean, for lack of better words, trash in the league. <laughs> they haven't really done nothing. And they were all highly touted, but all of them are non-factors in the league. So I will stay away from those schools. Um, Arizona got a, a guy now that's projected to go top 10. He's a freshman, uh, Nico Mannion. So we'll see how he does. But then again, I mean, just judging off their track record, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath. <laughs> so... Um, before I get into the list that I got, because I got the top five schools basically who I would pick from, uh, honorable mention, two schools that I think are pretty solid. They almost cracked my list, but they're just right outside my top five. First school I'm talking about is Villanova. So if you're a championship contender in the league, I take a player from Villanova. Maybe not in the lottery, but if I'm a championship team, I take a guy from Villanova. Um, they come into the league like veterans, and they usually work their way up in the rotation. They're not afraid to, you know, fight for a roster spot, fight for, you know, a starting role. They usually got that dog mentality coming out of Villanova, and maybe it's the Philly thing. But uh, they're team first guys. They're talented, but they know their roles. Like, the names that come to mind, Josh Hart, Mikael Bridges, Jalen Brunson, Kyle Lowry. Like, most people don't remember, but Kyle Lowry was – on his way to becoming a career backup before landing in Toronto. And now he's an all-star and a, a world champion. So he's shown that he can thrive in multiple roles. And a lot of guys that come out of Villanova show that they can do the same thing. Another school that I like that just missed my top five was Oklahoma. Now, Oklahoma is like offensive star university. They do not teach defense in Norman, Oklahoma. <laughs> I guess they don't because all the stars that come out of there could light it up, but they don't do shit on the defensive end. Um, so I guess it ain't in the curriculum down in Oklahoma, but they give you the offensive recipe for sure. And it translates to the league too. Like, you know who I'm talking about? Trey Young, Buddy Hill, Blake Griffin. Those are three of the most notable names that came out of Oklahoma and like this past decade that have, you know, proven that the scoring that they did in the league and the things that they did best in college, I mean, the scoring that they did and their offensive repertoire in college transferred over to the league. So 
those are some guys that that prove that if you're looking for an offensive star, Oklahoma might be the place where you want to look. So let's go ahead and look at my top five list. These are basically my top schools to draft a guy out of if you're looking for a productive NBA player. So my fifth-ranked school is Texas. Not because Kevin Durant came out of there and he's my favorite player. <laughs> but lately, they've been home of, like, the athletic big man. And I think the reason why that's so important is because that's kind of what's in right now in the NBA. Like, a big man who can protect the rim, run the floor, rebound the ball, and doesn't need, you know, the ball to produce offense and be effective. Like, lately, Jared Allen does that. Tristan Thompson, Mo Bamba, Jackson Hayes. Off the top of my head, those are just a few guys that kind of do – what I'm what I'm referring to, and they all came out of Texas. Um, I can't recall too many busts coming out of coming out of Texas, but oh no, I do remember one. Jordan Hamilton. I thought he was gonna be nice coming out of coming out of Dominguez. I thought Jordan Hamilton was gonna be really good, but other than that, he's like their their only bust I can remember. DJ Augustine has had a solid career. Corey Joseph for where he was drafted has had a solid career. So I think if you're looking for a solid NBA player, if they did pretty good at Texas just based off the conference they play in and, you know, the style of play that they, they run, I think you can find a pretty good NBA player out of, out of Texas. One of their most recent stars, I just said it, Jackson Hayes. And then I will say the best player um, in recent years to come out of, come out of uh, Texas is, uh, of course, Kevin Durant. So moving on to number four, the number four team that, I will say out of all the colleges that gives you the best shot at finding a diamond in the rough will be UCLA. So UCLA produces really good NBA players, but you have to look closely. You can't really judge them by their stats. They're like unassuming superstars. So Drew Holiday averaged eight and a half points in his freshman season at, um, at UCLA. He went one and done, was drafted number 17 overall, made an all-star game in the NBA and averaged 21 last year. So that's kind of an example of what I'm talking about. Like, his stats wasn't crazy in college, but the skill set was always there. And it, when you gave him more opportunity and a more spread out floor in the NBA, he thrived. Same with Russell Westbrook. In his last season at UCLA, he only averaged 13. He just averaged 23 last year. And he's had seasons in the NBA where he's averaged 30. And you know the rest. He's missed a triple-double. And then last example I use is Zach Levine. He averaged nine in his uh, one season at uh, UCLA, but he showed all the tools. And just last year with Chicago, he averaged 24. So... UCLA is the reason why they're not higher on this list is because they haven't had any superstars recently. And I think with UCLA, a lot of times they get West Coast guys and they don't necessarily have the size. Um, sometimes you'll get Alonzo Ball, you'll get a Drew Holiday, even a Russell Westbrook or a Zach Levine, but that's not common. Like most recently, uh, Jalen Hands came out of there and he's about 6'2, 6'3, 170. Like, they get a lot of West Coast guys, and usually they aren't as big as, like, you know, some of the schools down south that get these players. So moving on to my – oh, no, I got to say who their recent star is. So the most recent star to come out of UCLA was Lonzo Ball, and then um, the best player, you know, to ever come out of UCLA was Lou Alcindor, also known as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So if you're looking at, you know, what you can possibly land, considering, you know, one of the best players to ever play came out of there – uh, I, th I think UCLA would be a pretty good spot to try and find your next uh, next star in the draft. So moving on to my number three school, I got a uh, – who's my number three school? Duke. So Duke is the exact opposite from UCLA. They get guys with size. Um, they play an up-tempo brand of basketball that usually leads to good stats. So 
theirs is is opposite because you can't see their bust. So just like how you have to look closely with with UCLA because the stats don't necessarily show how good the player really is. Don't read too much into the stats that the players produce at Duke just because they play such an up-tempo system. You know, it's a lot of opportunities to put the ball in the basket, but that not, that may not translate to the NBA. Um, aside from Kentucky, I think this school probably pumps out the most talent annually. One of the best recruiting schools, like I said, they're in a pro-style offense. They never really go deep in the postseason, so it's kind of hard to predict, you know, if their players are actually winners. And they're usually only there for one season, so you can't get the full gist of what they can provide from a winning aspect. They're often very skilled when you think of, like, their forwards. Zion Williamson, uh, Wendell Carter, Marvin Bagley in recent history, Grant Hill, Elton Brand. Like, they usually have really skilled big men, um, but I will say that they lack upside. So what what I mean by that is when they go into the NBA, you kind of already know what they are. If their skill set translates, cool, but it's not like you're looking at a generational prospect. And usually they're better in college than they are in the pros. So that's what I said. It's it's very tricky with Duke players because they put out so many, but when you look at Justice Winslow, um, Tyus Jones, um, who else, Jalil Okafor, like these guys were all on the same team in college. They won a championship. And Shit, even Justice Winslow and Jalil Okafor won top 10, but look at them now. They're not really doing the best. Justice Winslow has a chance to to be a key member for Miami this year, so we'll see what he does. But other than that, man, they they put out a lot of players who go to the league and eventually are, I mean, for lack of better words, solid at best. Like Jabari Parker, he, he went number two, and he was a guy who I was excited about, but he's been injured for most of his career and – I mean, all he really is now is a guy that's going to get you maybe 15 to 18 points and five rebounds. So moving on to my number two squad on the rankings, I got North Carolina. So North Carolina has produced some of the best basketball players we've ever seen. <laughs> like just calling it what it is. Like Michael Jordan for one, um, James Worthy, Vince Carter. Like they're, they're constantly a powerhouse. And um you know, they run a pro-style offense just like Duke, so it's a lot of stats in there as well. But they usually produce players that have NBA size and NBA skill sets. Like, I remember when Harrison Barnes went to North Carolina, and he was getting all kind of hype just because when you look at his skill set, he could post up, he could shoot the mid-range shot, he can create his own look, solid defender, he can hit the three, he was athletic. Like, he he had the total package, and he's had a pretty solid NBA career. And he if a lot of their players, I think, translate – other than Duke, I think North Carolina players that are, like, really good translate. But, I mean, at the same time, if you look at maybe, like, Marvin Williams and Tyler Hansbrough, you might think otherwise. <laughs> but they're, they're a high-volume, I would say a high-volume school that produces a lot of players. So you do have your bus mixed in there. But I do think if I'm picking out of Duke or North Carolina, I think a player coming out of North Carolina might be more suited to producing NBA uh, one of their most recent stars is Kobe White, just won top 10 this year. And then their best player of all time is uh, Michael Jordan. I forgot to mention with Duke, their most recent star, of course, is Zion Williamson. But the best player to come out of their school, I think, is Kyrie Irving. And that kind of lead brings me back to my point that I said about Duke, that they don't really have a lot of upside. Because Kyrie is great, but he's not looked at on the same level as, like, Kevin Durant for Texas, um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for UCLA, 
Michael Jordan for UNC. So he's, he's really solid, but if you look at that being the best player, it kind of shows, you know, the level of talent that comes out. Not that it's bad, but the upside isn't, you know, looking at like a generational type player. And then for my number one, number one team to pick an NBA player out of, y'all know who I'm going with, man, <laughs> Kentucky Wildcats. This is the best school to get a pros prospect from, hands down. I honestly think John Calipari trains his guys to get drafted and not to win an NCAA title. Like, I really think that's his goal. And most guys find a role in the league, and a lot of the former players make up the stars in today's NBA. Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, John Wall, Devin Booker, Eric Bledsoe. The list goes on. Jamal Murray, De'Aaron Fox, Boogie Cousins. Like, they have so many productive players in the league. And if I'm drafting top 10, a player out of Kentucky is probably the safest bet if his name is not Michael Kidd Gilchrist. (laughs) But other than that, all their players are solid. Um, Julius Randle's another guy. Like, they have so many players in the league that are productive. And once again, they run that pro-style offense. They play in a competitive conference. They play against good size. So not only in practice do they have, you know, players with NBA size going against each other, but they play against, you know, big players in the conference. They play in the SEC. So down south, it's a lot of big boys down there, and they get to match up with them, and they face against, you know, top-level elite athleticism even if it's not, you know, highly recruited guys. Like, I remember when DeMarcus Cousins was in uh, at Kentucky, and he got banged on by a dude named Travis Leslie. That He ended up going to the league, but he came out of Georgia. And he wasn't, like, super, super-duper highly touted coming out of high school, but he had NBA athleticism, and that's something that DeMarcus Cousins faced in college. So when he got to the league, you know, it wasn't really, like, different for him. And then um, I just think what in terms of – at Kentucky, the, the, the thing that he preaches with his big man, I think he preached defense first. So when they come into the league, you don't see guys like DeAndre Ayton, who, you know, is all offensive oriented. But you see more Anthony Davises who come in with a defensive mentality, but show that he can play offense as well, too. Same with Carl Anthony Towns. So their most recent star uh, to come out of there is uh, De'Aaron Fox, I think. I like Jamal Murray, too, but I think De'Aaron Fox probably has a chance to do some, some real special things in the league. And then uh, their best player, um, I will say, to get drafted out of Kentucky, I'm going to say Anthony Davis is probably their best player. And just looking at him, he's another one of those generational talents. So that's my top five schools. If you're looking for your next pro prospect, you don't want to bust, you want a safe pick, and you want somebody that's going to pan out. I say head down to Lexington and find your next pro prospect. So let's go ahead and uh, transition to the halftime segment, and we're going to find out who our coach of the year is going to be for this upcoming NBA season. So trying to decide which, you know, coach in the NBA that I thought would win this award this upcoming season was really, really, really tough. And the reason why is because there's so much parity in the league this year. Like, you have so many different teams who are in a position to compete, And that means there's a lot of coaches who are going to receive some recognition. And then you have a lot of teams who just got a lot better and a lot of first-year coaches like Frank Vogel with the Lakers. Um, You know, usually coaches with LeBron win, but they're usually stressed out by the end of the season. So you're going to be in a conversation if you could, you know, stick throughout the entire season. But, you know, at the same time, LeBron can run you out too. <laughs> so this was really tough. I, I came up with three different coaches, and um, I'll go ahead and announce them first. And then out of those three, I'll decide who I think um, is going to go go home with the award at the end of the season. So the first coach uh, I came up with was uh, Kenny Atkinson, head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. 
reason for that is because I feel like he has a pretty good reputation in the NBA. Players love him. Um, you know, even players on other teams love him. I think that's kind of what, what lured Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you know, among others, to the Brooklyn Nets because they seen the brand of basketball that they played, and he was one of the key figures in establishing that culture in Brooklyn. You know, when he joined that team, they were they were terrible. They were one of the worst teams in the league. But I've always said I've always said this when teams will play Brooklyn, it wasn't easy. He always, you know, instilled a, a fighting dog and rugged mentality into his team and they always played with that level of intensity no matter what the stakes were in the game so now to see him finally having some talent kind of like the same thing I said with the the Los Angeles Clippers and Patrick Beverly kind of setting the tone well in this instance I feel like he's going to be the guy to set the tone for the team and he's the coach so you really need you really need that leadership up top and I think he's going to really push them you know, to, to be one of the surprise teams in the East this year, because I don't think teams are expecting, or I would say fans are expecting too much out of Brooklyn this year, especially considering the fact that Kevin Durant is not expected to play. But nonetheless, I do think that they're going to surprise some people. They still do have some talent over there. They got some size on the wing as well as inside with Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. So I think he's going to get that ball club in the East, you know, in the top, top five position and, you know, if they squeeze out some, some good victories against some tough teams, he's definitely going to be in that conversation. Second coach that I think will be in this discussion, this one might be a little controversial, but um, I got Alvin Gentry of the New Orleans Pelicans. If you tuned into the episode a few weeks ago, you heard me saying that I think the New Orleans Pelicans are going to sneak into the playoffs out west. So, of course, if the New Orleans Pelicans are going to be a playoff team, their coach is going to have a major part in their success. And he's a veteran coach. Another guy that has a lot of um, respect in the league, both from uh, coaches, you know, media personalities, as well as uh, the players. So I think with Alvin Gentry, um, he's going to have an exciting team. A lot of eyes are going to be on them with uh, Zion Williamson, Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, the collective. They're just a, a really solid team, but I think they have a good collection of young players as well as veterans, and I think that's going to help them sneak into the uh, into the Western Conference playoffs. Now, a lot of times the coach of the year usually goes to, you know, a coach that that has like a top three ball club. Like we saw uh, Budenholzer win it last year and the uh, Milwaukee Bucks had the best record. So there's there's very, very little working in Alvin Gentry's favor to win the award if I think they're going to make it as the eighth seed. However, nobody's predicting the Pelicans to make the playoffs. So. I think um, if, you know, he can get them in that spot, he'll definitely be in a conversation. And then at that point, it's just up to, um, you know, the voters to see who deserves that award the most. And then the final coach that I'll say um, is in the running for the Coach of the Year uh, award in this upcoming season. I'm going to say Brad Stevens of the Boston Celtics. He caught a lot of heat last year. And that team severely underachieved for the talent that they had on that roster. So it's understandable. Um, but prior to that, Brad Stevens was looked at as one of the best young basketball coaches and best young basketball minds in the entire NBA. So that hasn't gone away. He's still that good of a coach. Some um, they, they got Terry Rozier out of there, who was a guy who is really talented, but I think he was vocal as well. And they got Kyrie out of there as well, who was another talented vocal guy who probably was causing some disruption in the locker room. So with those guys being gone and, you know, him having a young Jason Tatum who's ready to come into his own, a new leader in Kimball Walker, uh, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, the rest of the collective. I think that 
they're going to be back in the Eastern Conference uh, discussion, you know, for, for one of the best teams along with Philadelphia, um, maybe even Toronto, just because they, uh, they brought back a lot of their veterans. So they're, they're going to be in that conversation. And Brad Stevens is going to remind a lot of people, I think, this year that, you know, he is that coach that received a lot of praise early on. And it wasn't unwarranted. You know, it wasn't a fluke. He's still that guy. And I think he's going to have the Celtics thriving this year. And I think they're going to catch people off guard. They're going to kind of flip-flop from how last year was. Last year, they had a lot of expectations that they didn't live up to. I think this year, um, you know, with their roster being so young, they're going to surpass a lot of expectations and prove a lot of people wrong. So those are the three Coach of the Year candidates out of the three. Um I think the one who's going to come away with the award, ah, man, this is tough. Because <laughs> I was, originally I wanted to go with Alvin Gentry, but then again, like the if you sneak into the playoffs as an AC, like you just kind of get that Doc Rivers treatment. But then again, I felt like Doc Rivers should have won it last year. So fuck it, man. I'm going with Alvin Gentry. <laughs> Alvin Gentry for coach of the year. The New Orleans Pelicans are going to shock the world. Every year there's a surprise playoff team that that makes it. So I think this year is going to be New Orleans. They got a, a bright young player in Zion who plays on both sides of the ball. Just hope he can stay healthy. Same with Lonzo Ball. He plays offense and defense. J.J. Redick is one of the best shooters in the league. Drew Holiday locks up. He can score. So they have talent on that team. They have depth. They have young athletes. And Alvin Gentry is one of the best coaches in the league. So I, I think that he's going to come away with that award. And I think at the end of the season, I'm about to be looking like a guru, hopefully. <laughs> so that's your coach of the year. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, quarter number three. And we're going to talk about some guys that influence winning. We're going to talk about some X factors. Let's get into it. So these guys are the people who... Every team needs, but they don't get that praise, man. <laughs> the X-Factors don't get the love, but you need them, man. You, you, you can't win without an X-Factor, at least not a championship. So I took the liberty of pretty much making my own definition of what an X-Factor is. And then I'm also going to give you guys the top five X-Factors going into this year because it changes every year. Of course, um, players being on new rosters always affects it as well. So I'm going to talk about some of the players who, you know, are going to play a key role for their team, but may not be like the leading scorer or anything like that. So before I get into this, if you're not already following me on uh, Instagram and Twitter, please go ahead and do so. It is at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. So the definition I came up with for an X factor. So an X factor is a player who is not a top three scoring option on this team. A guy that is not viewed as a star, but understands his role and thrives in it. The player can be the difference between a good team and a championship team. Iguodala is an example of the ultimate X-Factor. Rondo is also another example of an X-Factor when he played for Boston when they won the title in 08. These guys don't play for stats. They play to win. So that, that's my definition of what an X-Factor is. And now I'm going to just go ahead and get right into it. I'm going to start with number five. So, yes, these are the rankings. <laughs> so I'm not just naming five X-Factors. I'm, I'm naming them in order. So I'm going to start with number five. So... The fifth best X factor going into this season, I got Patrick Beverly for the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, we already know what he brings to the table uh, defensively, emotionally. Um, he's, he's the heart and soul. He's Draymond Green to the Warriors. So he, he gets them going. I kind of referenced him uh, at the top of the episode. 
in his first preseason game against uh, James Harden in Hawaii. He is guarding him like it is game seven of the NBA Finals. <laughs> like, dead ass. That's just who he is. He has no off switch. He is always on 10, always on go. He is, um, you know, not afraid of the big moment. And he's not afraid to take on the opposing team's best scorer. So you need guys like him because without that, you know, that that vicious pit bull on your team, you know, who who is going to protect the superstars? And And that's something that doesn't get enough credit for, like, Jared Dudley is going to try and play that role for the Lakers this year. He kind of said it in the uh, in the media day press conferences. But the guy who protects the superstars, you know, who who is that guy? And in this case, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, is going to be is going to be Patrick Beverly. Before anybody steps to them, he's going to be right in their grill, right in their face. So I think he's going to play a key role, not only defensively, but like I said, just emotionally and being that that supercharged, energetic, defensive. Uh, pest, <laughs> you know he he'll guard somebody at seven feet. We seen him guard Kevin Durant in the playoffs last year, so he's not afraid of anybody. It's no back down to him, and the team is definitely going to take on his identity because he sets his tone from that point guard position. So moving on to number four, the number four uh, X factor I have going into the league this season, I got Wesley Matthews for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, Wes is a guy who is a knockdown shooter. He he can hit the three. But one of the things I love about Wes Matthews, like I, I've, I remember watching him at Marquette. He's always had this same mentality, kind of like Patrick Beverly. It's no back down to him. When he went to Portland and, you know, it was, it was the same thing. Like he's, he's not afraid to guard the opposing team's best perimeter player. Um, he has some size to him. He's about 6'5", 220, 230. He can hit the open shot on a consistent basis. And he just... He has that will to win. Like, I don't think I've ever seen Wesley Matthews on a team that that wasn't in the playoffs. He's just that type of guy. And you need guys like him because the the Milwaukee Bucks, I will say, in the playoffs last year, they needed a little bit more toughness. Because when when the game started to slip away and, you know, Giannis didn't have an answer for Kawhi Leonard, he's a guy that, you know, they could have threw on Kawhi just to give him a little bit of a – just a different look. And he definitely can hold his own in, in that department. So just from, from the three-point line, he's a career 38% three-point shooter, so he's capable. Um, and then, like I said, he can score the ball in spurts too. Like, he was uh, undrafted out of Marquette, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but he's, he's found a way to, to stick in the league. And not only has he stuck, but he, he's been here for 10 years now. And, boy, like I said, I keep saying time flies, but it really does. Like, he – he averages 13.7 for his career, so 14 points. But at the same time, those 14 never comes at the expense of anybody else on the team. He knows how to get it within the flow of the offense, and he doesn't force anything. So they have Kyle Corver, That's a knockdown shooter. They have him, but he's going to be the guy that plays late in games because he can defend, and he's not afraid of the big moment. So moving on to the number three uh, X factor going into next season, I got P.J. Tucker. This is pretty easy. I mean – he is probably capable of being number one. I mean, if we looked at last season, if the Houston Rockets are going to be competitive, he has a large part to do with that. There is no way the Houston Rockets give the Warriors as much fits as they do in the past two seasons without P.J. Tucker's effort and defensive uh, prowess. Like, he is one of the best defenders in the league, six foot six, 240 pounds, rock solid. He is just going to do whatever it takes to win. He... 
now has become kind of a specialist knocking down that corner three whenever James Harden kicks it out to him, and he's going to get a lot more with Russell Westbrook now being on the roster. The reason why I say P.J. Tucker is number three is because I will say, in of course, in recent years too, like they had Trevor Reza there, and Trevor Reza is another one of those guys that played that X-Factor role, but I think with P.J. Tucker being able to, you know, rebound the ball effectively – being able to knock down an open shot, being able to run the floor. He can guard positions one through four. Like, he can do it all. And I think that gives him a little bit of an edge over, like, a Wesley Matthews or Patrick Beverly just because he can guard more positions effectively. And because the the role he plays on his team is, like, ideal. Like, the Houston Rockets want to play that, that up-tempo system to where they shoot a lot of three-pointers, the floor is spread, and he plays that stretch forward kind of role. So I don't know if there's any other team in the league that he would be as important for, but I think with that Houston Rockets team, they're kind of built just for him, and he's found his role, and he's going to get paid if he keeps doing what he does. And he even found a way to sneak on to, uh, you know, almost to the Team USA roster. He actually decided to pull out. He probably would have made it, being completely honest. So P.J. Tucker is a guy that, you know, has a lot of toughness, maybe one of the toughest guys in the league, real physical, and come playoff time, you need people like him. So moving on to my number two X factor in the league, I got Danny Green. Now, of course, every time you see Danny Green, he's hitting big threes for a championship contender. We've seen him do it with the Spurs for all those years. We've seen him doing it last year with the Toronto Raptors in the finals. He's fresh off an NBA championship. So yeah, he's about 32 years old, but he still showed he has a lot left in the tank. And I kind of mentioned earlier in this episode, too, that I think he's going to have a big year because he's never played with this level of talent around him. Like Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, they're really good in the Spurs system. But I'm talking about individual talent, LeBron James, Anthony Davis. There's no way, there's no way they're going to be able to you know, game plan for those guys and still, you know, keep an eye on him on the perimeter. So Avery Bradley is another guy on that team that does what he does. But with him being 6'5", 6'6", being able to block shots, um, you know, guard positions one through three, Danny Green is probably still one of the best catch-and-shoot players in the league. This is like an ideal scenario for him, and I think he's going to eat a lot in Los Angeles um, come playoff time is is when he makes most of his money because he usually seems to shoot a higher percentage as the games mean more. <laughs> I remember in the finals against the Miami Heat a few years back, I want to say he broke a record for the Spurs and was shooting like 60% from the three-point line through like the first few games. So he's di- dynamite when it comes to shooting that three-point shot. He's kind of like a better version of Wesley Matthews. And not that he's better than Wesley Matthews individually, but he does that role better. Like, I don't know if there's a better 3 and D player than than um, Danny Green in the league because Klay Thompson might be the only other one, but I don't. I think he's better than 3 and D. I wouldn't disrespect him by, by labeling him as a 3 and D player. So Danny Green at number two. We got P.J. Tucker at number three. Wes Matthews at number four. Patrick Beverly at number five. So number one, it's a couple different ways I can go. Um, I thought about Rajon Rondo on the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I thought about, you know, Joe Ingles for the Utah Jazz. Who else are some other guys that, you know, we, we could we could throw in there? Just 
it's a bunch of teams. Everybody pretty much has them, but it's a matter of who does it better to make that team more effective. So my number one uh, X factor going into this next season, I got Al Horford. Now, Al Horford has been an all-star, so it might catch some people off guard, but it's in his new role. He's on the Philadelphia 76ers now. He's the main reason why I feel like this team is going to make it out the East. He can pass. He can defend. He can score. He can shoot the three. Like, he can rebound. Al Horford is going to do whatever it takes to win, and now he's also playing alongside some talented players and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. I feel like in the past, the reason why Joel was constantly hurt is because he had a lot on his plate. You know, he, he came back. They knew how talented he was. Once they realized he was probably the best big man in the league, they just started feeding it to him, and now he's going to be able to take those breaks. You know, he doesn't have to dominate all four quarters. And even come fourth quarter, you know, if he doesn't have it going, you can easily insert Al Horford there, and he can play that role, you know, for the entire fourth quarter and make timely buckets. I remember um, in the playoffs, he used to give Joel Embiid the biggest fits. So not only will he help Joel Embiid, but he won't be the one, you know, in his way anymore. So he can give him some pointers on the defensive end. Um, He's been in the league a long time, real savvy veteran, doesn't really rely on athleticism, and he just always seems to make winning plays. So I, I think Al Horford is and shit. To be honest, Al Horford is one of the 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 biggest winners in the league. Shit, I remember when he was at Florida, he won back to back championships, and then he came to the league and that Atlanta Hawks team he was on. Uh, they got I think they got swept by LeBron in the playoffs, but they had won like sixty games and four of their uh, five starters went to the All-Star game. Like, he's always been a part of a winning team, so why would I think it'll stop now? So you have Tobias Harris, who's probably going to average like 18 and shoot a decent percentage from three. You got Ben Simmons, who I think is going to have a hell of a year. I think he might average 18 and 10. You have Joel Embiid, who's a shoe-in for 25 and 12, two blocks. So, you know, he really doesn't have to do too much. Josh Richardson is going to give you – um, 15 plus points and solid defense. So all Al Horford has to do is make the winning plays. And I don't see any reason why he won't be able to do that, especially considering his workload is going to be a lot less on this talented Philadelphia team. So just recapping the list, I got Patrick Beverly at number five, Wes Matthews at number four, PJ Tucker at three, Danny Green at two and Al Horford at number one. So those are your top five X factors going into this season. Um, if you got a problem with it, hit me up. Let me know. I want to hear your thoughts. Get active on social media because I, I love to debate basketball. Um, but yeah, th- those are my top guys going into this next season. And of course, every team, like I said, has their own X factor. But those are the guys I think that are going to have the biggest impact going into this uh, upcoming season. So Let's go ahead and transition to the final quarter of the day. And I'm about to talk about five guys who need more minutes. You want to win, put these guys in. (laughs) So as we wrap up the final quarter of the day, we're going to go ahead and talk about some guys who you may not know if you're just a casual basketball fan. But if you follow the sport pretty closely like I do, you may have heard of these guys maybe in college, you know, maybe in the G League or in different different realms of, of basketball, but I'm going to talk about how these guys should have an impact in the league this year, and maybe you need to give them a little bit more attention 
you know, than, than they've been getting. And like I said, if you play fantasy basketball, I know I do. I'm about to get my league started. Everybody listening to that, that fuck with me. <laughs> I'm about to get my league started uh, within this next week. So if you're trying to join, um, definitely reach out to me because because I'm starting it up. But, um, yeah, if you play fantasy basketball, these are some guys you probably want to look out for because they haven't had, like, a huge season yet. But I think they're primed for a breakout campaign this upcoming year. So the first player I'm going to go ahead and start with, former Duke standout Luke Kennard. He plays for the Detroit Pistons. Um, I think Luke is, is not necessarily going to go out and average 30. I'm not saying that. But I think Luke Kennard um, has proven he can score the ball. He's a, a lights-out shooter. But I think this year he's finally going to get the opportunity to, to show what he can do. And uh, the first preseason game today – against the uh, Orlando Magic, the the Pistons lost, but he actually played the most minutes off the bench. Now, he making me look bad because he only has six points, <laughs> and he shot two for eight with no assists and one rebound. So not the best showing for a guy who I'm saying needs more minutes, but I think the Pistons know what he can do, which is why he played the most minutes off the bench. Um he can shoot the ball like like few others. He can get it off. He has a really really quick release, quick release, rapid fire. He can he can get it off anywhere. He's left-handed and he still has good size. He's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, so he can get to the rim. He he has nice touch around the basket. He can put the ball on the floor occasionally. So, I think Luke Kennard on the Pistons could average anywhere from 10 to 13 points pretty efficiently. And um he has a chance to be one of the best shooters in the league, you know, in that in that um in that, in that Detroit Pistons system that doesn't really have a lot of shooting. They were near the bottom of the league last year, so they try to, to fix it with guys like Joe Johnson adding them. They added Derrick Rose, too, who isn't really known for his shooting, even though he had a pretty solid year um, last year. But um, I think Luke Kennard has an, a real opportunity to, to play some big-time minutes with Detroit this year. I really think he should be their starter because they start Bruce Brown, who was a rookie last year. But he's, Bruce Brown is probably the worst starter in the league, hands down. Like, for a guy who plays as many minutes as him, he's very versatile, but he doesn't really bring much to the floor other than, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck he brings to the floor, being completely honest. <laughs> but, um, I mean, he's still holding that spot down. He, he's kind of just like their defender on the wing. So that's why Luke Kennard comes off the bench, because that's not one of his strengths. But moving on to the next guy, um, I got Chris Boucher. If you follow the ISO podcast, I know you've heard me mention this guy a lot. I'm really excited about what he can do this year. If you um, follow college basketball, he used to play for the Oregon Ducks, but he suffered like an ACL tear while he was in college. So he didn't, um, you know, he didn't come into the league as like a highly touted draft pick, but he's kind of like that, that, that bowl bowl kind of player to where tall and lanky but can put the ball on the floor he's a little more skilled than Bobo he's about six foot ten so he can kind of play that power forward hybrid small forward role um, he can shoot the ball he can block shots he can run the floor he really can do everything to be honest um, and he was the G League MVP last year so you kind of seen um, you know in that Toronto system Pascal I think they won a championship with him and he was one of the best players in the G League in that year that um you know he got it the the G League Toronto G League team to the to the championship. So Chris Boucher came in and did the he even won up them. His stats was crazy when he won MVP. But um I think with him, he's also been planning them Rico Hines runs. He's been going against like star NBA players and he's been holding his own. And um for a guy as frail and skinny as him, he he's pretty strong. So 
I think this year, if he gets some minutes, he definitely could um, have a major impact because they need to replace that scoring that Kawhi Leonard, um, you know, with him being gone. So they need somebody to step up. Um, they just gave Kyle Lowry an extension. So, of course, they're going to ask a little bit more from him. Pascal is going to have to step up his level of play. But um, Chris Boucher is a guy that if he gets some minutes, um, again, if, if Serge Ibaka or somebody in that front court gets hurt, he's not giving that spot back because he's the real deal. Uh, moving on to the third player, I got Lonnie Walker, the fourth, one of the most athletic guys in the league. Um, if, you, if you're not familiar with him, you'll know him by his hair. <laughs> he kind of has like that dread flat top. Like he is athletic as fuck though. Like in terms of just speed, um, just bouncy, bouncy springs. Like, <laughs> I don't know if there's five people in the league that's more athletic than Lonnie Walker, the fourth. He plays for the Spurs if you're not familiar, but, um, he's a, he's a two guard combo guard. He can play the one in spurts, but his real, um, his real, I will say, thing that he brings to the floor is his high level athleticism and his scoring ability he can shoot the ball in the summer league uh, I thought he was probably the best player there it looked pretty easy for him he averaged like 28 or 30 in two games they they said that's enough you don't gotta play no more but I think he had a really good summer he's gonna come in um to that to that Spurs to that Spurs uh season and I think he's gonna lobby for some for some PT now the Spurs have a very young young backcourt so Bryn Forbes at the two Derek White and uh DeJounte Murray at the one like the years of Tony Parker and and the veterans being back there is gone like they're they're kind of rebuilding and then you got DeMar DeRozan at the two of course but I think with Lonnie Walker the fourth he provides something that DeJounte Murray and Derek White don't and that's his scoring ability like he he's a he can be a guy that averages 15 points off the bench. Like, he's dynamite, and I think he's going to play a key role for them this year. So keep a lookout for Lonnie Walker IV. If um, he gets, I would say, anywhere from 20-plus minutes a game, he's going to average double-digit points because he's that good. Uh, moving on to the fourth player, or um, I will say, and these guys aren't ranked. These are just me just naming five guys. <laughs> but um, the fourth player I'll say is Tony Bradley plays for the Utah Jazz. Now, this guy is pretty good because he came out of UNC. And um, if you're not familiar with him, he's not really like a big name, but he's a guy that's just been steadily improving, improving, improving. He had a really good summer. He was dominant for the Utah Jazz Summer League squad. And then in the first preseason game, he just had like 18 and 10. So he's going to be somebody that they can put in behind Rudy Gobert because I don't, I don't think they've really been able to find somebody to – adequately replace Rudy Gobert and spurts to where they feel like they can hold their own. They had Epe Udo, but he is super trash. <laughs> so with them um, getting Tony Bradley and him, you know, getting better and better throughout um, his year or two there, he is ready to step into that role and and play a, a solid play, play, give, give the Utah Jazz some good minutes at the center position. And I think with, um, with him being able to, affect the game on both sides of the ball he can score he can rebound he can block shots it's ideal for for any big man especially one coming off the bench so Tony Bradley will will be a guy that that gets some big minutes for a playoff team in the Utah Jazz especially considering Derek Favors is now gone so it'll be interesting to see what he does but I think he's somebody that could average anywhere from like I say maybe like 10 points and maybe seven boards like and that's just because I'm thinking he's going to share minutes with Ed Davis. 
But if Ed Davis, you know, gets traded or he doesn't really fit in with the Utah Jazz, because I know Tony Bradley would because he kind of came up in their system, he, he can average, you know, even more, 13 and 8. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think he'll be one of the best backups in the league. He'll kind of be like what Gorgie Jang was to Minnesota. And Gorgie Jang is still a solid backup, but the stats was there in, like, his first couple years. He just came into the league as an old-ass rookie, so I knew it wasn't going to last too long. But Tony Bradley um, will be able to, to give really good production for a Utah Jazz team. And then the last guy I'll say – this is probably one of my favorite players in the league, man. Anthony Simons. He is the real deal. Came out of high school last year. He played for the Portland Trail Blazers. Lit it up in the summer league. He's been getting high praise from um, Damian Lillard. He's been getting high praise from uh, Portland, Portland Trail Blazers head coach Terry Stotts. Like, they all think he's ready to take that next step, and he's only like 20 or 21 years old. Anthony Simons could, could get to the basket. He's athletic as fuck. He can shoot the ball, lights out. He, he is like that, that combo guard that is ideal for the Portland Trailblazers and the system they run. And to be completely honest, I would not be surprised if he eventually ends up moving C.J. McCollum out of there because that's usually what happens. Like these teams draft a guy, but if somebody else comes along that's a little bit better at what they do and has more size because I think he's like an inch taller than uh, C.J. McCollum. But he is he's an explosive scorer. I would not be surprised to see him average like 16 off the bench. He's probably their best bench player right now. Rodney Hood is the most established. But him, that back that back backup unit with Anthony Simons, Rodney Hood, Hassan Whiteside, Mario Hazonia, if he doesn't start, they're, they're going to be tough out, out west with Portland. So Anthony Simons, if you're just looking for somebody that can get a bucket, and if he gets enough minutes, he's going to fill it up. I remember his last game against the Kings um, this past season, the last game of the regular season for uh, the Portland Trailblazers. He scored like 30-something, and I think he hit like seven threes. So every time he is in a position where he plays adequate minutes, he usually does produce, and I don't see any reason why he would take his foot off the gas now, considering most people are expecting him to have a big season. So those are my five sleepers for this upcoming season. There's been a lot of guys that's caught my eye over the summer, but I think those guys in particular for this upcoming year are um, are really going to turn some heads, and, and you might see them on some top 100 lists going into next season just because I think they're going to wow a lot of people. So that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, I had a lot of fun in these top four quarters. Um, <laughs> definitely stirred up some controversy with that first with that first topic, but I'm excited for this season, man. College, um, NBA, as well as the um, you know the WNBA finals. I want to see how that plays out. So thank you guys for tuning in. Before we get out of here, I'm gonna play some uh, some music from Dame Dalla. <laughs> this is the only artist to make his second appearance on the ISO Spotlight. But Damian Lillard, uh, if you're not aware, he He's been beefing with, with the Diesel, Shaquille O'Neal. And I thought he scraped Shaq in that first round. But apparently most people didn't think he didn't, which is the point he was making when he was asked about it was, you know, people love Shaq for the popularity, but, you know, not for the actual bars. So this is his second diss track that he put out called I Rest My Case. So I'll let you guys hear that, hear what he has to say. <laughs> but he's definitely talking his shit on there, and he's ready to have a big season too. Because I think um, Damian Lillard might be in that conversation for MVP this year. I think he takes that next step. So we'll see um, what, what goes on uh, with these upcoming upcoming games in the preseason. We still got a couple couple um, 
like I said, a couple of days left before the NBA season starts. We got just about a week left. But um, as far as some games that's taking place uh, tomorrow, like I said, that, that John Moran and R.J. Hampton uh, game is what I want to watch. But the Rockets take on the Raptors. The 76ers take on, take on the uh, Zhang Long Lions. <laughs> that should be fun. The Heat is going to face the Spurs. The Thunder face the Mavericks. Suns face the Timberwolves, and the Nuggets face the Trailblazers. I'm definitely going to be tuning into that Trailblazers-Nuggets game, not only for Anthony Simons, who I just mentioned, but also because of Michael Porter Jr., a guy who I'm a huge fan of, and I've been telling everybody he's going to ball, so I need him to prove me right. But um, other than that, man, I hope you guys enjoy this track from uh, Damn Dollar. It's called I Rest My Case. Uh, not a part of an album or anything, but just like I said, it's it's a it's a diss track to Shaq. So enjoy that. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> and until next time. Oh, and for next week, um, this will be the last episode before I, I take a one week vacation. I'll be out the week after next and then I'll be able to kind of, you know, watch the game and just uh, enjoy it. And then when I come back, we'll definitely have a lot to talk about. But we're going to have a guest on uh, this upcoming week. So please tune in. We're going to have a lot of fun, as we always do. And um, we're just going to keep rocking like the home team do, man. So stay out of trouble. Stay down. Stay sucker free, y'all. And um, until next time, peace. We got Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless and all these sports people talking about championships and basketball. This this is rap. Y'all out y'all jurisdiction. You can't save them. Dollar. Uh, he easy work and he know it, but fans ride you. I know you know when niggas really love you, they a lie too. And it hit different when pressure really apply, fool. Goofy cutting checks and his BM sponsoring side dudes. I can walk away and not lose a second of sleep. Ran up on a wolf cause I got the texture of sheep. Classy with my bullshit, I profess a lesson in beef. Paying cats to write is deceased or pay for relief. Use a cloud chaser, even after all the success. Fake love on the camera, he capping all at the desk. Ghost riders on deck, checker bars, no chest. Helen from the land of the muscle cars. No flex, you not a rapper. You comedy commentary and actor. Feed him with a slingshot, you better call the pastor. David and Goliath, your stature's a non-factor. Friends really love you, they scattering. Contact it like Shaq, just let it be Cause no weapons gon' ever prosper Remember you're a cop with endorsements And you're a doctor I'ma get the Tommy and do the diesel like Proctor And your weight rising You might get sink at the opera You awkward I know you got habits to cover bases Head up in the clouds But it's rumblings in the basement Tell the world prepare for a harder fall on the pavement Then I put you under Today I'm working the grave shift Raised real solid I'm dollar but not for dollar sign Only dame you beat was 2000 And that was Stoudemire Music to my my ears when a phony or any coward try cut out all the lights on this od i'm like the power guy i think your pen kind of sketchy you should have left me sensitive i almost confused you with lisa leslie how you swing on chucking and try to go be his bestie loving my spits full of men you be looking zesty what you thought cause you popular shit was sweet we spot insecurities far away in the east i don't want to hear it don't bargain with me for peace we gon' shoot it out till you bow or just never speak I mean it, I'm not the one, I don't care about what you did What you done lately, don't tell me about what was then When you was in your prime, getting faded off fifths of hen I was rocking J's and my pops was in Sadie Benz uh, So basically all that money not gon' impress me I've been on the thinnest of ice and turned into Gretzky Even if you cut me a check, you can never check me this an epic moment in sports, I need an SP, uh I know you only competing for some attention You was hot then, but today you honorable mention All your closest folks need to come with an intervention The general commercial's a little overextended Cut it short, man, it's really ain't worth the legacy 
Rather get embarrassed instead of live with the jealousy. The game moved on, you was gone. She's no Penelope. You play with GP and be sure. You know the pedigree. A wise man said a clown gon' always perform. Rather stay in character instead of weather the storm. You can call me Damon, cause my supremacy's born. Told me sex myself, stay away from the porn. I didn't talk music with Jada, Juvie, and Wheezy. Push a T comment and Jesus with me like easy. Button podcast and do special Olympics with Stevie. No wonder you feel away, and I fuck with G Easy. Jamie Foxx, two chains, I really rock with the dopest. I was in the stew all night with Marsha Ambrosius. You gon' say you always had it rocking like a boulder. The real original was yelling, no limit, soldier.